May I begin by saying what a blessing it is that each of us have been given a wonderful opportunity to gather today. Certainly for our membership, we're always thankful that God has sufficiently blessed us, that we're able to be a part of the assemblies. But we're also always honored when visitors and guests come our way, and we hope that you'll find our worship service and the other assemblies of our congregation to be that which, more than anything, magnifies the Spirit and truth of God. And it does so by encouraging each of us in light of His wonderful and majestic Word. At this point, as you may have noticed, we're going to be giving some thought to shoes today, the shoes in the church. Now, as you give thought to what that might involve and some great lessons that could be of benefit to you and me, we're going to be look at se- looking at several verses of Scripture. But this opening slide is an introduction. Isn't it wonderful how that God has seen fit to give us His Word, which contains obviously the truth that He would invite us to know and to live by, but also in the way He presents it, He does so in a tremendously memorable way. For instance, can you not remember with me that sometimes the Bible tells a story? Think about the parables, would you? You and I can easily take that marvelous parable of the soils of Matthew 13 and appreciate the wayside and the stony ground and the thorny ground and that good fertile soil, but yet the truth is taught in a way that we can so wonderfully visualize. I might point out that there are many ways in which the Bible does that. Today, you and I are going to be looking at shoes. I wonder about shoes and the kind of lessons that might be extracted from at least the thought of them. The Bible mentions shoes on several occasions. You may notice at the bottom of that slide, I make this observation. I'm going to hopefully, over the next few moments, make a comparison between shoes and your life and mine as Christians with the hope that we can identify the particular place that we may be in and that it might encourage us to greater faithfulness and greater fidelity to the Lord our God. This next slide will begin that consideration like this. I'm going to mention several different kinds of shoes with which you and I are familiar. And as you and I identify them and the purpose that they serve, we will make a corresponding comparison and application to the life of a person. The first is overshoes. Maybe you have some overshoes in your garage or your barn or somewhere else, and you realize the purpose of those overshoes. You put them over the nice shoes that you might well wish to be wearing. I can remember many times before going to the barn, and we all know what's at the barn, that you would put on overshoes so that your good shoes wouldn't be soiled or marred with what's going to be involved in going to the barn. But at the very least, as you give thought to overshoes, quite often the far better matters are inside. I wonder about making an application of that. Wouldn't it be quick to point out some of the things that Jesus noted and make observation of that to us as well? Is your religion and mine kind of like overshoes? Religion that's only on the outside, but not on the inside. Religion that's only a show that others may see rather than being from the heart, which is what God would expect and demand. You see, a religion that's like overshoes isn't pleasing to God. It's a religion that, as you and I are about to see, God wants more than that. 
He wants your heart and mine, and He wants us to be dedicated and overwhelmingly devoted to following Him in every way, not just in appearance. For instance, look at some of these verses. In Ezekiel 33, verse 31, even in the Old Testament days, God, through Ezekiel, challenged the people of Judah. He said, They come and they ask interest of me, but their heart is not in it. Isn't that sad? There were people who God told Ezekiel, they're going to come and they're going to ask you questions as if they're sincere and as if they're really interested, but their heart isn't in it. I hope none of us are afflicted with that kind of malady. Our heart needs to be in it. Look furthermore at Joel 2 verse 13. At another time in Israel's history, the point was made to them that this people were at that time in great need. Rend your heart and not your garments. You see, one of the things of the ancient era that might be done is that in order to give a public testimony to the fact that you've changed and repented, you'd rip your garments. And so others could say, oh, he or she is a different person. Through the prophet Joel, God told them, I need your heart. Rend your heart and not just your garments. One last verse might be that famous one of Matthew 15, 8, in which from the lips of our Lord Himself, Jesus spoke so tremendously about the fact of there were those of that day who lifted high the truth of what Jesus was, but they didn't really live by it. Their heart just wasn't in it. At this point, as you and I close that discussion, I think we've learned from both the Old and New Testament that overshoes would not be a good kind of religion to have. But what about a second one? What about loafers? Maybe you have a pair of loafers. These kind of shoes that you put on, and oh, they're so comfortable. They're convenient. You often slip off the shoes characteristic of a work day and slip these kind of things on at some other time, or you might well choose to wear those regarded in that way like this. By definition, loafers are those leather shoes shaped more or less like a moxican. And the word loafer identically refers to one who idles away his time. So if you apply it not just to the shoe, but to the kind of person that's described at least by that word, that person idles away his or her time. May I suggest that that kind of a shoe should probably remind us about a Christian who is rather indifferent, rather lazy, a bit on the side of slothfulness. I believe already you and I can imagine that kind of Christianity, again, would not be terribly well-pleasing to the Lord. Do you remember a number of verses, both Old and New Testament, in which we're invited to give thought to an indifferent, apathetic, lazy person is not going to live pleasing unto God? God demands that we serve Him with faithfulness. He demands that we serve Him with careful intent. After all, didn't Jesus say, Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free? I've invited you to notice the application of Matthew 25, verses 24 and following. You remember the scene rather well. The Lord had spoken, and you might remember with me, that was a time not far from His crucifixion. And yet Jesus spoke about a one-talent man. Now in the midst of both a five- and a two-talent man, we're going to cast a bit of a spotlight on the other one because here was somebody who was given something, a talent. 
the application, the capacity, the capability to do something in light of the service in the kingdom. And the person hid it, didn't use it, perhaps for laziness, perhaps due to priorities being in some other place, perhaps due to simply a lack of dedication. But the point is, the person didn't use it. Was the Lord pleased? We well remember that He was not. In fact, so severe was He in judgment, He said, Get this wicked and slothful servant out of my kingdom, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Lord was so displeased. Could I point out then that loafers are not good kinds of Christians to be? In fact, could we not remember, in light of so many other verses, the issue connected to our service in work to the Lord? Because faith without works is dead. James 2.17 At this point, we've looked at a couple of kinds of shoes. What about a third kind? We've dispensed with these loafers as well as the overshoes, but here's a third one. High heels. There are ladies that on occasion choose to wear high heels. Could I point out that those two can be rather indicative of at least something that can be rather problematic. As the name implies, these kind of shoes typically have a rather long or high heel. I think, gentlemen, we can be somewhat amazed that a woman can walk on those things and do so safely. But our particular lesson more connects to this. That thought of highness leads me to ponder about something that could serve as a warning for each of us. That kind of person who chooses to dwell in pride and arrogance to the point that he or she looks in a condescending and holier-than-thou attitude on other people. Each and every one of us stands on level ground at the foot of the cross. Each and every one of us are such that we're motivated to ponder verses like Romans 12, verse 3, Let no man think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Now that lesson isn't just for ladies, it's for us men too. For we, you and I can be guilty of beginning to look down upon others and frowning on the kind of cases that they bring that's different than ours. It is a rather constant reminder in Ephesians 4 verse 2 that we are admonished to dwell as we endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace and to do that in lowliness of mind. That phrase, lowliness of mind, institutes, encourages and defines an attitude whereby it is very different from pride and arrogance in the way that we've highlighted it here recently. In Romans 12 verse 16, Paul directly encouraged the congregation at Rome that they would not have an attitude of condescension toward others. I hope that you and I here at Pippin, in the way we live our ordinary daily lives, would be those who regard our service to the Lord as prime, and that we would strive never to lead someone to see us as being holier than thou. Because we love their souls, we love the truth of God, we want them to enjoy the favor of God as we do. The discussion of high heels has been a third kind of shoe that at least has offered some challenge. And your Christianity and mine, we would hope, would not be described this way. What about the fourth kind of shoe? House shoes. I know that we enjoy them as well. 
the comfort and the nice convenience that goes with house shoes as we perhaps wear them around the house. Those kind of comfortable shoes surely remind us of some of the thoughts I would quickly share with you. What application might we make in making a comparison of that to something connected to our Christianity? You'll notice it on the second slide. A house shoe is so comfortable. All of us are quite aware of how much comfort they have as it stands opposed to what might be work shoes or work boots or other kinds of shoes that we might will be called upon to wear as a part of our daily activities. And yet, if we in the service of the Lord are too interested in comfort and too interested in convenience, we can easily go astray. I've listed that for you there at the bottom of that slide. Isn't it a tempting thing to put that as the highest of priorities? To want our worship, to want our service, to want other aspects of our life to the Lord to be governed by convenience and my preference. When all the while we remember it must be the matter of the, of the truth of God. Think about the text of Amos 6 verse 1. The people of Israel fell into this trap. Could I invite you to notice God there said, Woe unto you! And then He pronounced upon them the fact that they were committed to comfort and committed to convenience. You see, they didn't want to do that ultimately which the Lord commanded because it was a bit inconvenient. And it was a bit less than the kind of comfort that they preferred. Today, that can still be a matter that's a great troubling issue to the human family. How often do you and I see those who would organize their worship in a way that merely was consistent to what they thought was comfortable? You have seen it well, just as I have. You know, I don't sing so well, but I sure love to listen to others, so I'll sit by and I'll let the choir do the singing. Where does God allow that? Where does He make any command relative to approval of such a thing? The only words we have in Ephesians 5.19 are speaking to yourselves. He expects each of us to be singing, not passively listening to a choir not passively listening to someone else do the singing. He wants all of us to sing. And aren't we blessed and honored that we have the privilege of voicing our heartfelt thanks and our heartfelt feelings of appreciation to the God who made us. House shoes, you see, as you close that slide, lead me to turn to Revelation 2 as well as Revelation 3. Do you remember that there were seven churches in Asia? And of that group of congregations... The vast majority were rather resoundingly condemned, and much of it had to do with they were slipping from the matter of service into convenience. May I say that the four we've looked at so far have been rather powerful reminders that these shoes can serve as a helpful issue encouraging us what not to be. What about a fifth one? Another kind of shoes. Sunday shoes. You may have some on right now. Many of us may well have shoes in which we have them set aside. We don't wear them to the garden. We don't wear them even to work because these shoes, at least in some cases, are those which we have purchased and selected because they match the kind of clothing we otherwise wear on Sundays. Sunday shoes. Let's make an application of that to 
our service to the Lord. Sunday shoes, as the name would suggest, might well indicate a religion that doesn't go much beyond the time you leave the building. We arrive at the services of the church and we're thankful to be here, but in that light, we understand in this environment, we are surrounded by those that love the Lord, by those who at least have assembled for the consideration upon His Word. But what does that mean about tomorrow? I might even ask, what about tonight? Have you made plans to be present for tonight's services? Have you made plans to be present, clearing schedules if at all possible, so that Wednesday would be a time of edification, strengthening, uplifting, and encouragement? Each of us need it. It's difficult to go Sunday to Sunday. Oh, how much we always need to appreciate the fact that every day a reflection upon the Word of God is needful. Job spoke of things like this in Job 23, 12. I regard thy word more than my necessary food. We should consider God's word more pressing, more needful, higher in priority than the meal we're about to share after services. God's word means more to us. I can go to heaven without a good meal today. Can't go to heaven without the Bible. Isn't it true then that you and I need to consider what about my Sunday shoe? Is my religion no more than a Sunday morning at best? If it is, what does that say about my interest in going to heaven? If our Lord could go to the cross and endure what He did, with the difficulties, challenges, and matters that beset Him, can I not clear my calendar and give to Him at least four hours out of 168 every week? Think about how small a percentage that is. Four hours out of 168 in the week. It is something to consider. Again, a reminder that a Sunday shoe kind of religion is not going to be pleasing to the Lord. What about yet another one? Number six, tennis shoes. Perhaps you and I have several of them. We might well wear them if you're playing racquetball or tennis, or maybe if you're jogging, or maybe if you're involved in some other athletic activity. Tennis shoes. Surely in that light, we might make another application because we understand that too can speak volumes. Could that not cast a spotlight upon another issue of problem? What if a person is a Christian, is really far more interested in matters of the world, be it recreation, be it entertainment, be it other matters, much more so than interest in the things of the Lord? Well, that would kind of be like tennis shoes. I don't use tennis shoes, again, for a lot of other activities, but they are very useful if I'm interested in recreation. A religion like that, again, is going to have problems based on some verses I have there for you at the bottom. First of all, we'd be quick to say that recreation by itself is a fine thing. But what if my priority in it is so that I'm willing to dispel interest in the Lord and matters in service to Him so that I can be entertained or otherwise pursue those matters of recreation? In 1 Timothy 4 verse 8, Paul writing to Timothy, in the long ago he pointed out, bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things. Now, you and I might take note, he did not say bodily exercise profits nothing. There is a place for it. 
but far more importance is connected to living right before the Lord. As you give thought to tennis shoes, I would ask you to think about that verse in James 4, verse 4. The reminder there, worldliness. Could I point out that Satan is currently, as he has always, I suppose, encouraged a great deal of worldliness in the lives of those who otherwise would be proponents of following the Lord. In James 4, verse 4, we read, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Thus, you and I need not have a religion that might be likened to tennis shoes, but rather a religion that should be likened to other things. Number seven, what about sandals? Maybe you have worn sandals. Perhaps many of us can appreciate the characteristic nature of sandals. These are shoes that have an open structure. In fact, may well only have a few straps or something like that. What kind of a Christian might that be? How might that be indicative of a person's relation to God? Could I offer this thought? Maybe that could be a reminder of a Christian who basically is a skeleton only. There's no deep-seated meat and deep-seated faithfulness in light of them. It's a surface consideration at best. How often does the Bible encourage us along this line? Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Second Peter 3.18 Are we not told in 1 Peter 2 verses 1 and following that we're to lay aside everything. And he gives a lengthy list. And then he says this, and give our attention to those matters connected to the Word of the Lord. We wish not to be children of that light, but rather to grow and mature in light of the faith. I'm reminded, as perhaps you are, of Hebrews 5, verse number 12. In that verse and the two that follow it, we're admonished along this line and greatly challenged. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. The Hebrew writer rather directly challenged those of that day, you ought to have been teachers of the Lord by now. Those who were skilled and mighty and capable of sending forth the truth of the Lord for the benefit and blessing of others, and yet you are in need of someone still teaching you the most elementary matters of the faith. The Hebrew writer said, this isn't good. How does that come to you and me today? Am I still in a position? Are you still in a position to where, though perhaps a Christian for years, I have never matured to the point that I'm ready to at least present a powerful lesson and example in teaching to others? If so, I'm about like a sandal when it comes to these shoes in the church. And again, the Lord's not terribly pleased with that. He wants us to be those powerful influences, sending forth a message of truth. What about an eighth one? Bare feet. Now, I know our lesson has dealt with shoes, but that surely reminds us of what the shoes are covering. What about bare feet? 
Are there any lessons in this? I believe we could make one. Do you remember verses such as Romans 12, verses 15 and following, in which, How blessed are those who preach the gospel, the feet of those who share forth the beautiful message of truth. That's a quotation, by the way, from Isaiah 52. So both Old and New Testament reminds us how needful is the gospel. To be barefoot is to have no shoes on at all. And in that same light, perhaps we could use that to describe a person without the gospel. That person who's never yet rendered obedience to that beautiful message of truth. They aren't even those who have shoes on at all yet. They are aloof from and distant from the God that loves them. It may be that as you and I give thought to that, doesn't that highlight the urgency, the needfulness of becoming a Christian? I hope that each of us are reminded that this book is a big invitation from cover to cover, reminding us that God loves us, reminding us so much so that He sent His Son to die for us, and that the church is supposed to be our place where we can live here on earth in faithfulness to Him and look forward to going home to glory. But isn't it sad when there are those who don't have that blessing? I hope each of us could be motivated so much so that we can live in faithfulness and highlight that to be barefoot is again not to be in a good place. I have saved the best for last. Work shoes. I'm going to use that one to close our lesson, giving some thought to the place of work shoes. We've looked at all these other eight kinds of footwear, if you please, but we come to work shoes. And these shoes, of course, are equipped to permit one to work on the farm, at the job site, in some other location or place. And isn't it fair to say that God expects us as Christians to be those who are like work shoes? We haven't been saved to warm a pew. That's a part of our service to the Lord, and we are greatly encouraged by our times of assembly. But we know that our life in service to the Lord involves work shoes, things in which you and I render by our talents and capacities service to the Lord in the ways that we can. Look at some of these verses with me. Philippians 2 verse 12, Work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. Now there's an assistance. There's an insistence that you and I would be given to our work in the church. Let's add to that this one in Luke 9, verse 62. Jesus, as He closed that chapter, He pointed out that any man that puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of heaven. If you and I put our hand to the plow and then sat down under the shade tree and we just sit there, Jesus said we're not fit for the kingdom if that's the case. We need, you see, to have a mindset of laboring on behalf of the Lord. I've added one last verse in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, and that's the one that Brother Colonel read as our lesson text of the day today. Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Work shoes, is that like you and me? I hope it is. I trust that these other kinds of shoes that we have at least given some consideration to today, 
might be shoes that would lead me to close the lesson with a few observations that I've tried to summarize like this. Which kind of shoe represents me? Which kind of shoe represents you? In frankness, each of us have to individually answer that. I can't answer that for you really, and you're not able to answer it for me either. But in the same light, could we notice that whether it be loafers or tennis shoes or house shoes or the others that we noted, we have found in them an issue that's a problem. The work shoes, the one that closed our study, was the one that invited us to be those that are workers in the kingdom. We sometimes sing a couple of songs in our songbook that highlight the work in the kingdom. Shouldn't we be fair to say that that kind of work spans a great spectrum? Jesus spoke in Matthew 10 about those that give a cup of cold water in my name and that they will be rewarded. There may be those whose work that is, but there are other kinds of work that involve more usage of our skills and talents. Could I say that you and I need to be work shoes in the kingdom? As we offer the Lord's invitation today, it does beg the question. And if your religion and mine is more like one of those other eight than that last one, we need to make some changes, some new directions in life, perhaps leaning more strongly upon the presentation of the Word of God. As we offer this invitation, Brother Cale has chosen a song of invitation. And at this time, we, we use this time of convenience. If there's anyone in this assembly that perhaps has never become a Christian, and you know that at this point in the spiritual realm, you're barefoot, but you know you want to be clothed with the shoes spoken of in verses like Ephesians 6, verses 10 and following, where the Christian armor does include having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. If you're not shod with that, why not today? Why not today? There could never be a better time than the 10th of September, 2023, to obey the Lord. If you know that you're a sinner, that Christ died for you, and of what the matters of the gospel invitation are, you know enough. We'd be honored to speak with you, to talk to you, to encourage you. But may I say that that plan of salvation requires that you believe in Jesus, that you repent of your sins, that you confess the matchlessness of His name and to be baptized. If today we could help in that way, we'd be honored. If, on the other hand, you are currently distant from the Lord, because though once you were close to Him, you today are not, because of choices that you've made, because of movements in life that you've pursued, it's time to come back to the Lord. Hosea 10 verse 12. Don't wait another moment. Don't wait another day. Today is the day of salvation. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 2. If you need to make repentance of those matters known publicly, you need to first repent of them for certain, make confession of them, and with a proverbial tear on your face, be thankful that God has allowed you to come back to the place you once occupied in faithfulness. We'd be happy to help and encourage, and we'd be happy to do any of this at once while together we stand and while we sing.